Welcome to Canine Nation. It's Sunday, March 10th, 2019. This is episode 127. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the podcast. This is Eric Brad. I hope you can forgive the slightly different tone of my voice this week. We're just back from a short vacation in Mexico, and somehow I managed to pick up one of those travel colds that I always seem to get. You know, over the years, I've always found our dogs to be pretty agreeable. They seem to get along with us and each other pretty well. I guess we don't really think about it much, but in some ways, it's surprising that our dogs get along as well as they do. People, on the other hand, definitely have their preferences. Not everyone gets along with everyone else. Sometimes you just meet that person that, for whatever reason, you don't get along with. Our dogs have their preferences, too. As humans... We have all kinds of rules in polite society for how to avoid the people we don't like and to make time to be with the people that we do like. It shouldn't surprise us that our dogs have their own ways of dealing with these issues of preference. My wife and I have had many dogs over the past 30 years, and while we've enjoyed them all, not all of our dogs turned out to be the best of friends. We managed just fine but it was clear to us in some cases that certain of our dogs really did not prefer the company of some of our other dogs. It's fascinating to watch dogs work out these preferences. They seem to have a language all their own. I wanted to explore these issues in a little more detail and talk about some of the important things that I've learned about how and why dogs don't always get along. So here is an essay that I call, No Fighting, No Biting. Dogs Don't Always Get Along. It's a fact of life that not everyone gets along with everyone else. As humans, we tend to measure our own civility by our ability to coexist, using a code of conduct that we call manners. We shouldn't be surprised that our dogs have a similar code of conduct that they adhere to when interacting with other dogs. The question is, do we really understand or even recognize dog manners when we see them? Like humans, dogs are social animals and a normal, healthy dog will require regular social interaction in order to be well-adjusted and happy. We share a need for companionship and play with our dogs. As humans, we are raised to learn and use a number of social cues and signals that help us communicate and understand each other's intentions and emotions. Given our different physiology and thought processes, teaching dogs how to interact with other dogs by using human etiquette and signals just seems silly. Dogs don't have the human capacity for complex language. They do, however, have an amazingly complex and effective set of visual signals that they use to communicate with each other. Veterinarian Bonnie Beaver describes three types of communication signals that our dogs use with each other in her book, K-9 
Canine Behavior, a Guide for Veterinarians If my dog Rizzo wants to encourage another dog to come closer and interact, perhaps to play, he would display what Dr. Beaver calls distance-reducing signals. If Rizzo did not want to interact with another dog, he might display distance-increasing signals in order to get the other dog to back off, to give him space, or even to leave him alone. But sometimes, Rizzo might be unsure of what he wants or how he feels. In that case, he might display what Dr. Beaver describes as ambivalent signals, a mixture of both distance-reducing and distance-increasing signals because he's uncertain about the situation. Most of us are familiar with the most common distance-reducing signals, the lowered head with an open and relaxed mouth, the play bow with the rear end high and tail wagging excitedly, or pawing playfully at the air. We should also be familiar with the most common distance-increasing signals, the fixed stare that says, don't come any closer, the frozen body posture, closed tight mouth, lowered ears, or standing with their weight rocked forward under their front paws you might be surprised at the speed at which dogs can both read and display these kinds of signals. Entire conversations between dogs can happen in a matter of one or two seconds, almost beyond the ability of the average person to follow. It's important to remember that dogs evolved as a scavenger species, so meeting another dog while out foraging in the wild could be a dicey proposition. After all, that other dog could be a competitor for your next meal. In general, we humans tend to approach each other head-on, making eye contact and often extending a hand in greeting. Dogs generally approach each other much more cautiously and indirectly, averting their gaze and avoiding prolonged eye contact to reduce any threat or challenge to the other dog. Dogs also want to sniff each other because so much of a dog's world is made up of smells, and the best smells seem to come when you're up close. This is where the dog's visual communication skills play their part. In order to get a good sniff, you would have to get pretty close to that other dog. But the other dog may indeed be a competitor for some resource, for example food, toys, or even affection. So, Dogs will use their body signals to communicate their intentions and their preferences. Just like humans in a verbal conversation, our dogs listen to and respond to each other's physical signals to manage the interaction. They have conversations of their own. Often, these interactions are difficult for humans to see because we don't recognize the subtlety in canine signals. In a matter of seconds, Dogs can seem to become instant play buddies or mortal enemies sometimes before we even know what's happening. One of the most fascinating aspects of dog communication for me is how dogs settle disagreements. We have had some pretty dynamic personalities in our Belgian shepherds over the years, and they've given us a wealth of experience in watching their interactions. Two of our boys, Vince and Mario, had a difficult relationship. Vince didn't much like Mario, but for whatever his reasons, Mario seemed to adore Vince. As you can imagine, that dynamic led to more than its share of disagreements between the two dogs. 
Mario liked to gaze adoringly at Vince. It was a soft look, not a hard, challenging stare. But this annoyed Vince, and he would let Mario know. In Vince's case, it began with an averted gaze and a low rumble in the back of his throat. If Mario didn't back off with his gazing, it would escalate to a growl, and then a lowered head and a bark, and then a snarl with bared teeth. And, on a few occasions, it escalated to what we would call a fight, but what was, in reality, just another way dogs communicate. Dogs can look pretty ferocious if they get into fights with other dogs. It's remarkable how infrequently these fights actually result in real injury to either dog. One of the biggest surprises for me in learning about dogs is that this lack of injuries is not just a lucky accident. I remember attending a seminar put on by author and dog trainer Suzanne Clothier. During one session, Clothier showed us a video of two German shepherds fighting, and it was difficult to watch. The two dogs reared up and clashed, snarling and snapping at each other with fearsome speed. Although it seemed to go on for some time, it was over in less than a minute. Clothier then showed us the same video at half speed and pointed out a couple of impressive and important facts. First, she explained that most dogs have the ability to bite three to seven times each second. That's faster than any human could react to effectively intervene. But the second and more astonishing fact for me was that these two dogs were missing each other on purpose. Suddenly, what looked like an all-out brawl to me turned into a high-speed dance, choreographed and executed with incredible precision. In her article, He Just Wants to Say Hi, Suzanne Clothier explains that dogs do have a sense of personal space, and they sometimes take exception to having that space invaded without invitation. Apparently, dogs can be rude to each other, just as humans can. But dogs don't have the ability to say, Excuse me, would you mind backing off a bit there, my friend? Instead, they may growl, bark, snap, or lunge out. In other words, they can present some pretty overt distance-increasing signals. So why do we expect all dogs to be delighted to see each other? I can't tell you how often I've encountered an off-leash dog barreling down on me and my dog at the park. In the distance, the owner waves and yells, He's friendly! To which I usually reply, Mine isn't. I say this not because my dog is unfriendly, but because I think it's unfair to expect my dog to remain calm with this strange dog running at her at full speed. Being on leash when she's with me, she also has no way to easily escape. I think you or I would be defensive in that situation, too. Given how much of dog-to-dog -dog interaction is either misunderstood or difficult to read for us, the kindest thing we can do for our dogs is to minimize the chances of them getting in trouble by managing their situations. My girl, Tiramisu, can be very reactive when dogs invade her personal space without permission. But all of her snapping and snarling when she erupts is not designed to inflict damage on the other dog. It's meant to get them to back off. Dogs are very good at letting each other know what's on their minds. 
An unwanted encounter can be handled with a grumble, a growl, a stare, a snarl, or even an air snap. Just back off is the message. And the escalation is calculated and purposeful. Dogs are as emphatic as they need to be to get their point across. But here's the problem. Humans often misunderstand or disapprove of many of these signals, especially if there is a fight involved. And this is where things can go terribly wrong. Many owners will try to keep their dog from expressing these natural distance-increasing signals that tell another dog to move away. That can be dangerous. By asking a dog to stifle the early lower-intensity warning signals such as growling, we are asking them to stay silent until they can stand it no longer. Instead of being permitted to go through a natural progression, from a low growl, to a snarl, to a stare, to a bark, to an air snap, and so on, the dog restrains herself, perhaps for fear of punishment, until she can no longer contain her discomfort. Now, instead of the stranger dog getting plenty of warning to stay away, they can approach quite close until finally the stressed and restrained dog snaps and goes off in a flurry of barking and snapping. To be sure, every dog is different, and each has his or her own preferences for meeting strangers, play, and how close they prefer to be to other dogs. Some of it is in the breed or the genetics of the dog. Just like with humans, early socialization and positive experiences with other dogs, and even other humans, can go a long way toward helping your dog feel comfortable around other dogs and other people. But understanding that your dog may be uncomfortable in certain situations and responding to their signals can go a long way as well. The importance of letting a dog express the low-level distance-increasing signals like growling or wanting to move away cannot be stressed enough. When we tell our dogs to stop it because we think they shouldn't be uncomfortable, we do nothing to address their internal discomfort. We are just taking away one of the important ways they have to communicate with us and other dogs. We shouldn't be too quick to label a dog as aggressive when they may just be under-socialized, sick, or nervous in a new situation. We've bred our dogs to be our companions. They are good communicators and clever social animals. We need to trust that they are doing the best they can to get along with others. If you enjoy these podcasts, why not drop by our website at caninenation.ca and you'll find dozens more to listen to. While you're at it, perhaps click on the donate button and offer us a dollar or five or whatever you'd like to give to help support the podcast and help us keep the lights on. Or you can support the podcast by spreading the word on social media or leaving us a review on iTunes. I'd love to hear feedback from you about the podcast. If you have any comments, stories, or questions, you can email me at talk2 at caninenation.ca. That's talk and the number two at caninenation.ca. I look forward to your comments. Canine Nation is also on Facebook. You can find our Canine Nation page where we post information about the latest articles, podcasts, and news about Canine Nation events. We also have a discussion group, the Canine Nation Forum. It's a place to discuss the podcast 
the Canine Nation essays, life with dogs, and training our dogs, or just to share some information we found around the Internet. Thank you for listening. I'd appreciate it if you'd share this with the dog people in your life. I guess that's all for now. Until next time, have fun with your dogs. <laughs>